Today on This Week in Iowa, the state parties prepare for tomorrow's caucuses. Then Governor Kim Reynolds fills the last vacancy on the Iowa Supreme Court left by Chief Justice Mark Cady's death. A look at the state of the race with just over 24 hours from the caucuses. Plus, we sit down with an undecided voter and her plan for tomorrow night. Thank you for joining us on This Week in Iowa. I'm Stephanie Angelson. And I'm Jack Miller. We are filling in for Sabrina Ahmed, of course, as she takes a few months off for maternity leave. We are just one day away from the Iowa caucuses, and there's not much the candidates can do now, really, to persuade Iowa voters, especially if those voters have their choices locked in. Still, the candidates and campaigns are just not letting up. And this year, the caucuses are a little different than years past. Democrats have changed some of their rules. Now one change relates to how they're reporting results. In the past, the Iowa Democratic Party released only how many state delegates each candidate won. This year, they're releasing raw totals. And that's caused one undecided voter to consider caucusing for Senator Cory Booker, even though he's dropped out of the race. I'm contemplating still um, aligning for Cory Booker during the first alignment and then realigning with another candidate when I um, see what the room looks like, which is a little scary. And I don't know if that's the best strategy, but it's the one that I feel most comfortable with right now. And we'll speak with another undecided voter later on in the show. The new reporting rules have some worried the winner of the uh, Democratic caucus in Iowa may not be the person with the majority of support. Now, over the course of last week, Local 5 put together quick videos on how the caucuses work this year. It's called our caucus curriculum. You can find those on weareiowa.com. The parties have been working hard preparing for tomorrow night, holding numerous trainings for their chairs. The Republicans say they've hosted more than 100 training sessions, while Democrats expect almost half that. Democrats expect more than 2,000. With this being the first chair experience for many, the Democratic Party is expected to have 2,000 volunteers come through its training. Last week, just days before the caucuses, President Trump visited Iowa, as did Vice President Mike Pence. Mr. Trump arrived on Drake's University campus for an event at the Knapp Center on Thursday. People started camping out early to be first in line. Des Moines police beefed up security and worked with Drake to make sure everyone stayed safe with several protests planned beforehand. We're going to switch gears away from the caucuses. Governor Kim Reynolds appointing Dana Oxley to fill the vacancy left by Chief Justice Mark Cady's death at the Iowa Supreme Court. Oxley is an attorney at Shuttleworth and Ingersoll in Cedar Rapids. She's a graduate of the University of Iowa College of Law and has argued before the Iowa Supreme Court and the Iowa Court of Appeals. I sought this appointment to serve you. I accept this appointment with great humbleness and honor. I promise to uphold the Constitution and the laws of this great state, to decide cases fairly and impartially, and to administer justice to the best of my ability. Oxley is the second female to be chosen for the Iowa Supreme Court by Governor Reynolds and her third appointment to the Iowa Supreme Court. Coming up next, Senator Bernie Sanders' last-minute rise in the Iowa polls. Is that likely to stand come tomorrow night?
Welcome back. We are joined by ABC News political director Rick Klein. Rick, thank you so much for being here with us today. I know My you're pleasure. very busy because it's Caucus Eve, and this is it. This, this is the Super Bowl. This well, the Super, Super Bowl is happening too. It's all, it is. It's all at once. So much going on right now, but in the world of politics, this is it. The, the candidates just have a few more moments to really get their name out there and, and get those undecideds. The last few, uh, the last week, really, we've seen Bernie Sanders kind of surge ahead here. So, what's your take on that? Do you think he can hold that momentum going into tomorrow night? He has a real good shot at winning the caucuses. A lot of people think he had more people show up for him four years ago in that battle against Hillary Clinton. Of course, he lost by just a couple of tenths of a percentage point. Uh, and look, if he has more people show up, the Sanders campaign is going to point to that and say, "We won. We we, we actually got the most enthusiasm behind our candidate, mm -hmm. to, despite or regardless of whatever happens with the delegate count." Very possible that we have multiple winners coming out of Iowa, but Bernie Sanders' campaign will go on regardless. He's very strong in New Hampshire as well, uh, and uh, I think a lot more people are going to be feeling the burn before the end of the cycle. Okay, so what other trends do you think we're going to see tomorrow night in the caucus? Well, the, the, the alignments are so interesting here because one is just who shows up. Again, Bernie Sanders is kind of the favorite for that metric, but the second is who's the consensus choice because there are all these candidates who may not have enough support in individual rooms or across a congressional district to be viable. And and to have enough support to, to actually win delegates. That's what this is about. Ultimately, it's about putting those points on the board. And it's possible another candidate, maybe Joe Biden, who's neck and neck with Bernie Sanders in the polls, could come out on top. The polls have showed really four candidates who are within striking distance of the top and a fifth, Amy Klobuchar, who's close to getting delegates as well. We've never had a situation where five people walked out with some kind of a prize out of Iowa. That could happen. It could also be a, a, a bad kind of wake up call for some of the candidates, people like Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, I think, needs to overperform expectations. Any of them, uh, if they if they are not able to say, look, here are the delegates that we want out of Iowa, that's a big disappointment. So you mentioned that Bernie Sanders obviously has name recognition uh, in, in New Hampshire, which is their next test. So coming out of this, what do candidates need to do here to then get their, themselves known in New Hampshire? Well, a lot, a lot of it is momentum. If you are able to win in Iowa or come close in Iowa, then the national media starts following you around. People will show up at your town halls in New Hampshire over the coming week. So th that just builds upon itself. It's a it's a real concrete demonstration of support for the first time. It feels like caucuses and primaries go on forever. <laughs> but now when the voters actually weigh in for the first time, that tells people, look, it's not just that they've got an organization. It's not just that they can run money, uh, raise money, not just that they can hire staff. They've got actual human beings who are going to show up for them uh, under not ideal conditions. Let's face it, going to a caucus is not easy. You got to do it on a weeknight and find out where it is. And it could be cold out or snowing out. So people uh, people have to be invested in your candidacy. And if you can do that in Iowa, uh, history has shown that it, it spills over into New Hampshire and beyond. And let's talk a little bit about the changes the Iowa Democratic Party made. I mean, we could we could see some, we're not sure what we're going to see really because this is new. Do you think we could see multiple winners? It's very possible that, that someone wins that first alignment who's different than that second alignment, mm -hmm. who might be different than the, the actual points of the what, the, what are called the, the state delegate equivalents. And that all of that could even theoretically be different than the final number, how many national delegates. Candidates will spin it. Campaigns will come out and declare victory about uh, different portions of the numbers out of Iowa, and they may all be right. They're just different stories to tell. Mm -hmm. So winning Iowa, quote unquote, is is not quite what it has been in the past, and I think it's going to be subject to interpretation. So that could really give an advantage to somebody who may not full out win Iowa, but they can go into New Hampshire and say, look, we got this. I'll tell you, some of the campaigns are talking about how do we get out there early to define the storyline on before it gets defined for us. Okay. Do you go out there even before the results are finalized to clear 
declare victory and get on that plane to Manchester, New Hampshire and, and start the campaigning all over again. There's going to be a lot of gamesmanship around that and trying to, to decide and, and to determine who gets the momentum out of Iowa. Sure. Do you see um, anyone maybe not in the top five breaking through and, and kind of making a headline for themselves tomorrow night? Well, the, the, the bad kind of headlines is, is, is dropping out and yeah. that, that I think is, is almost inevitable in a field this big. Iowa's already had significant culling of this field. There's been several candidates, people like Kamala Harris and, and Beto O'Rourke, who got into it quite heralded. They weren't able to catch fire, and, it, and the failure to catch on in Iowa was a piece of that. Uh, look, there's always a possibility. I know John Delaney spent a ton of time in the state. Uh, Tom Steyer has been spending a lot of time and money uh, around the state. Uh, if any of them are really going to shock people, it would shock people. It would be a, a, a big surprise, but right now this looks like it's a race between those five. Maybe keep an eye on Andrew Yang. Mm -hmm. He's not part of the conversation, but he's got pockets of really strong support. Okay, so with just a few moments left, I mean, really, what do these candidates need to be doing to make that final push? Spin. Uh, a lot of it is about <laughs> interpretation. I I'll tell you, you got to close the deal. And there's so many caucus goers that we've talked to, that you've talked to, that really haven't made up their mind. They have impressions. They know the candidates. They know who's out there. That close matters. And uh, the fact that uh, Joe Biden's being attacked by President Trump in Iowa may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing for his candidacy. The fact that some Democrats are starting to take on Bernie Sanders, maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. Maybe some voters are going to tune out the negativity and go with someone else. But it is about the close at this point. Do you think that the, the broad field that we had with really diverse candidates and then also this this change of rule and strategy as do you think that's left a lot of voters kind of confused and undecided on who they want to support we heard from voters early in the process they wanted fewer options they've got mm -hmm. fewer options but it's still a lot and I think the caucuses can be intimidating and showing up and having to publicly declare your allegiance for someone and uh, go to a corner of the room and maybe talk your friends and neighbors into it, it's all difficult. And I think for a lot of people that are experiencing it for the first time, there's a high barrier to entry. But I think that you know, the party's made some changes to try to make it easier to participate. And a lot of people are talking about record turnout. I can't wait to see what happens. Me neither. All right. Thank you so much. Good to see you again, Rick. Thank we you. appreciate your time. Well, coming up next, Iowa Democratic caucus goers have a number of candidates to choose from tomorrow night. Their behavior ahead of the caucuses. Welcome back, everybody. Jack Miller here, and I'm joined by Professor David Peterson from Iowa State University, Professor of Political Science. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining oh, us. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, uh, let's talk about some caucus headlines uh, before Monday. We have what a lot of people feel could be a real rumble on Monday, because compared to the last few caucuses here in Iowa, we just have more candidates in a race that's perceived to be very close. What are you expecting in terms of how, how crazy it could be on Monday night. No, oh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a madhouse, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think uh, the participation is going to be probably record-setting. So we're going to have more people packed into these rooms in the high school gyms or the churches or wherever they're having a caucus uh, than we've ever had before. Um, and they're going to be split between mm -hmm. four to five major top-tier candidates. Um, how they end up deciding to, to separate themselves into each of those groups in each of those locations is is pretty unpredictable. Mm -hmm. Could be a long night and there's also some differences this year in terms of the volume of numbers that are going to be reported. We're going to have raw count number one. Apparently the the, the, the numbers are going to be released. Yep. Raw count number two and then of course you have the little thing we call the delegate count too which is really the the big number. Do you foresee a lot of spinning, maybe a lot of disagreement even about who wins the Iowa caucus? Oh, absolutely, right. Uh, as you said, there's going to be these three sets of numbers. I mean, historically, the Iowa Democrats have only released that final one, the delegate count, mm -hmm. um, which has led to some 
probably fair complaints that the system isn't very transparent. So this year they're re uh, releasing both uh, how many supporters each candidate gets at the first round across all the precincts and then how many supporters they have at that realignment. It's likely, I think, that we may end up getting different answers to those three questions. Mm -hmm. Who gets the most in the first alignment? Who gets the most after realignment? And ultimately, who gets the most delegates? And so each campaign is going to have to, is going to get to pick and choose which number they want to highlight as their best case for the narrative going mm -hmm. forward. It's almost inevitable that some candidate that didn't get the most delegates is going to look at the first raw count vote and say, hey, just like 2016, Hillary got three million more votes, but Trump's president. Something along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, right. I think each, each of those numbers are going to signal something different. Right. So that first alignment number is the number of people who are probably really dedicated to the candidate. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, if, if Iowa had a primary, that would be the only number, right? the only thing that actually matters. Um, the realignment numbers in part suggest who can reach out to a broader segment of the party because they've got to draw people from the, from the supporters of other candidates who weren't viable. Um, and then the delegate count has a little bit of that last piece of the sort of total amount, but the delegates are also geographically specific, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's kind of like when we vote for state legislature. If one candidate runs up a huge margin in one seat, those extra votes don't get to count for another seat. Right. Um, you know, so you can get these differences between, say, the number of votes that, the, that, a, that, the, that a party wins for the state house mm -hmm. versus the number of votes that the governor gets, right? right. And, and the, that geography, um, the ability to be competitive across the whole state is what's going to matter for that last final delegate count. That's why they're out there shaking hands in every little yeah. corner of the state because they just know how it works on the ground here in Iowa. Let's talk about the status, the bigger picture of the status of the Iowa caucus. Has the status of this caucus come down at all in recent years? There's been the cr criticisms that Iowa's not very diverse. And then let me give me four names of presidential mm -hmm. candidates mm -hmm. right now. Michael Bennett, Michael Bloomberg, he got in late obviously, yeah. John Delaney, Deval Patrick. Where have they been and does it say anything to the overall importance of Iowa as number one to go? Um, let me start with the, the sort of first some of the criticisms and I think some of the criticisms are legitimate, right? Mm -hmm. Iowa is a wider state than average um, and particularly for the Democratic Party, Iowa Democrats are whiter than Democrats in the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know race matters in politics. Um, and we know that the Democratic nominee, if he or she's going to be successful, needs to be able to build a coalition that has a, that has a lot of support from the African American and Latino communities. And so a state going first that is as Anglo as we are, mm -hmm. it's, it's a real concern. Um, in terms of the candidates, I mean, I think Bloomberg is the exception, right? Bloomberg got in late, um, and as a result, he knew he wasn't going to be competitive in Iowa. So we've been doing some polling at Iowa State, and we had a poll go into the field pretty much right after Bloomberg got into the race. And uh, the general reaction of Iowans was that they were pretty unhappy with him. Mm -hmm. um, some of that is his decision to skip, but also there seems to be his, I think there was some resentment about his attempts to jump the line, mm -hmm. right? All these other candidates have been here for the state fair. They've been crisscrossing criss <laughs> the state. And then right. Bloomberg did not do the hard work that I think is important for Iowans. They didn't much care for him. 
The other candidates have sort of seen the handwriting on the wall. Delaney's been here a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Delaney, I think, has actually more candidate visits than any other candidate in the race. Oh, okay. Because he started very early, right? Mm -hmm. He started running super early, and lately he's been a little less engaged. But the others have, have moved on in part because they know they aren't going to be successful here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can't let you go without talking about the energy mm -hmm. at Iowa State. Obviously, a lot of folks who identify as Democrats on campus there. Is the en How is the energy this caucus season compared to others that you've seen? Um, it's it's uh, it's pretty high, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think again with the participation um, expected to be higher than there has been in previous years, right? We feel that on campus as well. Um, the most part, the three candidates that seem to be dominating campus are Bernie Sanders, not too surprisingly, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and then there's a, a sizable Andrew Yang uh, group on campus as well. From mm -hmm. my sense, um, right, Iowa State University's the the in part the engineering school, mm -hmm. um, and so we've got a heavy STEM influence, and and I think Yang is appealing to those mm -hmm. students, particularly students who may not have been uh, as engaged or as involved in previous, in previous mm -hmm. cycles. Running out of time, one real quick yeah. question. Do, the, do most of the students have to caucus back where their home no. addresses are? No. no. They can caucus in Ames. Uh -huh. uh, University of Iowa students can caucus in Iowa City. They can, they can caucus in local, in local places. Okay. All right. Thanks, Professor David Peterson from ISU. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Still ahead, many caucus goers are still undecided at this point. We talk with one undecided on why she still remains so. Welcome back, everyone. Oh, those rare and coveted undecided voters. That's who all the candidates are gunning for right now in these last moments before the caucus. We have one joining us today, Emily <laughs> Shields. Welcome, Emily. Thanks for having me. So you are undecided at I this am. point. We're getting close to the end. So why, why haven't you made a decision who you want to caucus for? Well, I did decide twice. Okay. <laughs> but those candidates have both dropped out. So okay. now I'm kind of at a point of needing to make a third decision and mm -hmm. just feeling really uncertain about that. Okay. Do you mind telling us who the candidates were that oh, you would course, hope, sure. for, hope to see? Yeah, move well, on? I supported Julian Castro first okay. and then Cory Booker. And what was it about those two candidates that you liked? Um, th honestly, those are both people whose political careers I've followed for a long time. Um, I'm very interested in issues around immigration. Julian Castro made that a central focus of his campaign. Um, I also am definitely looking for a positive, um, I guess, sort of affirmative here's what we're going to do message, and I heard that from both of them as well. Okay. Do you have anybody that's kind of on your radar, somebody that you're more gravitating to at this point, or is it really a, a blank slate? Um, it's probably not 100% a blank slate. I would say that Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar are up there, so I guess I'm the New York Times. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, which they're very different to me in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, those are in there, but a lot of the other candidates are also still in the mix, I would say. So when you get to your caucus location, what do you think it is that's going to <clears throat> get you to make a decision? What is it that you need to see or hear or even feel? Um, I don't know. I think it'll just be that it's the moment where I have to say, I'm helping to run my caucus site, so okay. I think I'm going to be focused on that. <laughs> and then I think we're going to walk around and start counting. And when we get to the group I'm interested in, I'm just going to say, count me for this one too, and just kind of go with how I feel in that moment. Because I've kind of given up the idea that I'm going to feel perfectly good about whatever the decision is. Okay, and you've caucused before? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Every chance I've had. <laughs> exactly. So you know, you know how it is when you get into that room, sometimes things change and, and the energy kind of catches you up. Yeah. And there might be, I mean, once some of the math gets started, maybe I'll feel like um, my support 
makes more of a difference in one camp or another, and mm -hmm. that would be a factor. And as we're heading into these last moments, what would you, what would your advice as an undecided voter be <laughs> for the candidates as they're trying to catch people's attention? What message would you like to see come out, coming from them? I, you know, I just continue to be um, looking for a positive message, uh, despite. I think we are in some pretty um, scary times in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but I'm looking for a vision of what could be. Okay, I think that there's a lot of people that feel that way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right now. Yeah. We wanna thank you so much for your time. Best of luck, caucus night. I appreciate it. I'm sure you'll come to the decision that's right for you. I'll have to at some point. <laughs> yes, and we'll be right back. Well, thanks for joining us on This Week in Iowa. We hope to see you again next Sunday. you got to get accustomed to Stephanie and I being here in this role instead of Sabrina. Sabrina, if you haven't heard, uh, is just about ready to deliver twins. Mm -hmm. So best of luck to her, and she should be back in about three months. Absolutely, and remember, you can always listen to This Week in Iowa via our podcast, which you can find on most any platform. Jack and I will be hosting your caucus night coverage at 5, 6, and 10 on Local 5 News, and you can always visit our website, weareiowa.com, for more information on how the caucuses are going to work this year. It's a little different. It's going to be fun. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.